Hello everybody! Welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. Before I get started today, I just wanted to say you should check out my Twitter and Facebook. Follow them if you're on those platforms. Because um, I occasionally put up extra thoughts and like jokes about the stories. I try not to spam everyone with too much, but occasionally I'll post extra stuff. And um, obviously I post like when every episode comes out. Uh, and check out my Patreon, because $1 patrons get bonus side notes about every episode. Um, and sometimes, you know, maybe they're kind of interesting. Um, I will probably be having my spouse help with help me with them for the next couple weeks, because he's actually helping write these episodes. So um, you might you might want to check those out, because that'll be, that'll be a rare opportunity to see his writing. Now, I told my kids months ago that I would tell a popular story about Jesus magically feeding 5,000 people. They were intrigued, and now the time has come. That story alone would actually only take a few minutes to tell, but it fits in a much bigger narrative of political intrigue and social upheaval and revolutionary teachings, which feed into the whole Christian Easter story I'll be telling for the next few weeks, so this actually won't be a short episode at all. The story of this miracle is actually one of the few stories you can read in every one of the four Gospels in the New Testament canon. One of, aside from all the Easter death and resurrection stuff, I think it's like the only miracle and one of the few stories that's in all of them. Um, and I'll address the significance I think that has in like a minute. But now to the story. Uh, if you remember John the Baptist from a previous episode, he's sort of a prophet. He lives in the wild. He baptizes people. People think maybe he's the return of the prophet Elijah, and he and Jesus are sort of friends, even though the respective followers want them to be intense rivals because they're afraid, you know, oh, he's going to take all your followers. Um, the big difference between the two in the Gospels is that Jesus is supposed to be the Son of God, and John is the man getting everyone ready to listen to him. They actually taught really similar things, like being generous, not being greedy, not taking advantage of your power to cheat people or take their money or otherwise mistreat them. And as I mentioned in the John the Baptist story from before Christmas, which, uh, you know, you might want to go back and listen to because I actually think John is really fascinating. Um, but I'm not going to tell his whole life story here. Anyway, as I mentioned way back then, uh, these teachings were considered pretty inflammatory and they got him in trouble. So the ruler, Herod, the son of the other Herod from, you know, when Jesus was a baby, who was also a corrupt leader, the new Herod, he didn't like being told by John that he was taking advantage of people and abusing his power. Also, according to some versions of the story, King Herod was in a romantic relationship with Herodias, who was the wife of his brother. And um, John is like, that's bad. And Herod didn't like being told that. And also, Herod didn't think it was good to have some guy with a whole lot of devoted followers going around talking about how corrupt Herod was and how Herod should change and repent and do what John says. So Herod had John thrown in prison, which is a thing you can do when you're a corrupt leader who uses your power unjustly. So there he is. He's in prison. Um, and that's all Herod was going to do to him until one day on Herod's birthday, when the daughter of Herodias, Herod's sister-in-law slash girlfriend, that's weird, performed some sort of dance at the party to entertain everyone. And Herod is like, wow, that's a really good dance. I promise to give you anything you ask for, which if you've read fantasy stories, you probably know saying this type of thing is typically a mistake. It will bite you in the booty 100% of the time. 
Don't give open-ended promises like that. So anyway, the girl's mother, Herodias, who is also not happy about what John the Baptist said about her and Herod, told her daughter to ask for John the Baptist's head on a plate. And then Herod's really torn, like, what's he going to do? Because either he kills an innocent person and make everyone that likes John mad by killing John, or he looks like a liar at his own birthday party for breaking a promise he just made. But as a rich leader, he has maybe different priorities than you have. So he has John beheaded and had his head brought on a plate to Herodias' daughter. Uh, later, he starts getting reports of another man, who turns out to be Jesus, doing miracles and getting a lot of followers and preaching the same type of stuff as John. And he thinks John the Baptist is coming back to haunt him. And uh, that's how he thinks Jesus has the power to do all these miracles. Meanwhile, Jesus is like friends with John. I mean, they're even relatives. They're sort of distant cousins. And Jesus has been really busy doing a lot of teaching and storytelling and miracle doing and helping people. Um, he's been really busy. And he's got a lot of people who are pretty excited about following someone who can do these really impressive miracles. But when Jesus hears that his friend John has been killed, he wanted to be alone. Um, also, they're very similar. So that might be kind of like, on the one hand, he misses John and he's sad. On the other hand, his fate, which he already sees coming, is kind of like staring him in the face right now. So he traveled by boat to a remote place where he could finally escape the crowds who'd been following him. But they all heard where he was going, so they all walked there and met him. And when he saw all the people there hoping that Jesus could help them, Jesus' compassion for the sick had like a battle with his desire for rest, and the compassion part won the battle. Jesus is basically kind of like God, though, so really strong amounts of compassion is his superpower, kind of like Stephen in Stephen Universe. I do not have this much compassion, and honestly, I don't feel that bad about it, because I am not a demigod or whatever. Uh, so Jesus healed them. He healed hundreds, probably thousands of people with sicknesses and chronic illnesses and disabilities, and he spent all day doing this, even though, frankly, he was ready for some me time. And uh, I believe in modern times, disabled people should fight for accessibility and social accommodation over chasing miracle cures. You can Google the social model of disability for more info on that subject. It's really kind of an interesting topic. But all that said, all of my, um, you know, social justice concerns out of the way, I think if I was in an ancient story with magic healing that could take away my sicknesses and my mental illness, I would seek out the guy doing the healing. So I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, so Jesus was really busy talking and teaching and healing and talking to everybody. And I mean, like, this is an introvert's nightmare. All these thousands of people wanting to talk to him, wanting to touch him. And um, when it finally got to evening, his disciples, who are his friends slash followers, like 12 men who are always wandering around with him, they said, um, Jesus, this is a wilderness. It's in the middle of nowhere, and it's really late. So you need to tell these people to go away so they can go get some food, you know, because we're kind of concerned about them. And Jesus said, oh, they don't need to go away. You feed them. And they said, but this is a lot of people, and all we have is like five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, all right, I'll take that. So he told everyone to sit down. And he took the food and he blessed it, which in my experience growing up in a Christian home means you sit or stand over the food and everybody holds hands because holding hands right before eating is totally hygienic, right? Um, 
we did usually wash our hands though so you know that's something anyway he says so so anyway in my experience blessing the food means saying something like lord thank you for the food bless it to our bodies and thank you for the people who prepared it to be honest i've never heard it explained what bless it to our bodies meant but i think it's supposed to mean have this food make us healthy but actually jesus wasn't a christian he was jewish because christianity didn't exist yet so come to think of it he probably recited a Jewish blessing that translated to English goes something like, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then he started breaking the bread and fish into pieces. And he handed the pieces out to the disciples, and the disciples handed the pieces to everybody else. And he kept breaking food and handing pieces to people and breaking food and handing pieces and breaking food long past when you'd have thought that those five loaves of bread and two fish would be gone or at least ripped into the tiniest little crumbs imaginable. Um, and he kept going until everyone had eaten and there were like 5,000 men plus women and children who apparently didn't get counted, so actually a lot more than 5,000 people. And not only that, everybody ate enough and then they collected all the leftover food in baskets and there were 12 baskets full of leftover pieces, way more than they'd even started with. And the disciples were amazed. And then Jesus really was ready to be alone. So he sent, now that everyone had enough to eat, he sent the crowds away. And he told the disciples to go back to their boat and he would meet them on the other side of the lake. The lake here is the Sea of Galilee, which isn't just a little lake. It is miles across. It is huge. And when there's wind, there, there can be really kind of high waves um and so when it was dark jesus was finally alone and he went up on the mountain to pray by the time he was finished praying um the boat was a whole mile away and it was really windy so there were lots of waves and the boat was being tossed around at around three in the morning the disciples in the boat saw what looked like a ghost walking on water far from the shore and they were terrified until the ghost said don't be afraid it's me it was Jesus, and one of his disciples, Peter, kind of the loud one, said, uh, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus like, come on out. The water's fine. <laughs> no, he didn't say that exactly. So Peter started walking on the water, and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm literally walking on the water. But when he realized how choppy the water was, and he saw a big wave coming at him, he panicked. And once he panicked, he started to sink. And then he started calling for help. And Jesus grabbed his hand and pulled him up and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And then he helped him climb back into the boat. And then the wind stopped completely at that moment. And everyone was like, Wow, you truly are the actual son of God. Um, and once they got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, some people recognized Jesus. And they told everyone they saw that Jesus, the miracle healer, was there. And those people told everyone they saw and so on. And lots and lots of people were, were bringing sick people to where Jesus was. And he couldn't even pay attention to all of them. So they asked to just touch the edge of his robes. And everyone who touched even the edge of his clothing, even the hem of his clothes, became healthy again. And the more miracles Jesus did, the more people he healed and fed, the more religious leaders became aware of him. And you already know that John's gotten a bit of trouble, and Jesus is teaching basically the same stuff. So now I'm going to introduce a group of characters who are going to be pretty important in the following weeks. The Sanhedrin. 
The Sanhedrin was an assembly of Jewish religious leaders called rabbis who were responsible for making sure people followed God and obeyed the Jewish law correctly. They also had to represent the Jewish people to Roman authorities who were ultimately in control over the area. The Romans let Jewish people have a certain amount of freedom and govern themselves to some extent, but they had to pay taxes to Rome and they had to have Roman soldiers in the area to make sure they didn't try to rebel. Even Jesus paid taxes to Rome. There's actually a story where the disciples are like, oh no, I gotta pay taxes. And he's like, just go fishing. And they went fishing and they pulled the coins they needed out of a fish's mouth. So, um, but anyway, Jesus is not exactly working for Rome here, <laughs> the way good Roman aligned citizens are supposed to, even though he technically did pay the taxes. I mean, heck, he's even feeding people totally income free and he does it again, not much later. You can't just go feeding and healing people for free because then they won't be forced to stay in their social roles of begging or working for basic wages if you do that. And then how will Rome and the religious leaders keep order? This is ideological and practical upheaval of the social and economic order. Oh, no. In fact, I think this might be a little bit of why this story, this miraculous feeding of crowds, is one of the few that shows up in every gospel. Caring for people on this level without making them pay for it was so central to Jesus' whole persona. Other people, including religious leaders, sometimes gave money to poor beggars, but it was totally subject to their whims, and having people beneath them, depending on their charity, actually helped keep them in power. Um, I should point out that the New Testament writers paint the Sanhedrin as mostly bad and corrupt men who cared only about protecting their own power. The Gospels do pull from actual historical figures, but don't always represent them accurately. They used real people like the Sanhedrin and which was a group of people, and John the Baptist to write a sort of historical fiction fantasy with a radical superhero leader with magic powers. The historical truth of the Sanhedrin, as best we can tell, is more complicated than in the Gospels. There were two main groups in the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, and Christians have little songs making fun of them, which are frankly really problematic. Uh, but anyway, the Sadducees had most of the power during Jesus' time. They were wealthy. Most of the priests were Sadducees, which meant they controlled what went on the, at the temple. And they mostly stayed on good terms with the Romans, which was important because any power that Jewish people had was power that Rome allowed them to have. The Pharisees, on the other hand, usually came from ordinary families that didn't have as much money, and they usually stood with the common people, not with the Roman rulers. Um, in fact, from everything the Gospels say about what Jesus taught, he sounds like a lot about what we know about the Pharisees. He was the son, sort of, of a carpenter. Um, he was called a rabbi. I mean, Jesus actually probably was a Pharisee from one particular branch of Pharisees' teachings that um, Judaism ultimately followed um, in, in real life. And yet uh, the Gospels actually paint the Pharisees um, in these stories as Jesus's greatest enemies. He was constantly pointing out ways in which they were corrupt and they were plotting against him. Um, that actually doesn't seem realistic. And we can guess because of the Jewish religion um, that because the Jewish religion, which became known as Judaism, ultimately didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, the writers of the Gospels wanted to make all of Judaism, Judaism look bad. So um, it's important, I think, to keep that in mind because the way that the Gospels portray the Jewish leaders is one of the roots of anti-Semitism, which is a word for hating the Jewish people, which is a major thing in our world today. 
And I've talked about it a little before in the Maccabees episode, which was a really fun episode. Um, so anyways, Jesus has fed like 5,000 people, healed thousands, and the religious leaders came from Jerusalem to ask, you know, what exactly he's up to and why Jesus doesn't follow all the rules they follow. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders and not wash hands before they eat, they asked. And Jesus said, why do you break God's commandments because of tradition? And then he brought up this debate that was actually really hot in Israel at the time, according to documents from ancient rabbis talking about the issues, where people would devote money or other resources to God and then be like, well, I can't help my parents because I promised all this money to God. And that's what some of the leaders said you should do. But Jesus quoted a command from the Old Testament, honor your father and your mother. Jesus, and in fact, many other Pharisees, this whole other group of Pharisees, although the New Testament doesn't say that, um, believed it was more important to make sure people, especially your elderly parents, had their needs met, needs met than to devote all your resources to God first. Jesus believed how you treated other people was more important than how you follow other rules like washing hands or not doing activities on a Saturday. Um, by the way, they were talking about ceremonial hand washing and not like germ theory. Do wash your hands frequently, like maybe the Pharisees are onto something here. Um, wash your hands, especially before eating, to help you from getting sick during the cold and flu season and, you know, all the time in general. Okay, hygiene side note over. So uh, after this, the religious leaders just kind of faded into the background again for a little while. One day, a Canaanite woman, meaning, you know, she wasn't Jewish, um, she was from the area, but not one of the Jewish people. She approached Jesus and begged for Jesus to heal her daughter. Um, and Jesus said nothing. He just did, he just ignored her. And then disciples, she just kept following and begging. And the disciples were like, um, send her away because she keeps asking. And so he, he listens to them and he says, I was only sent to help the lost sheep of Israel. Like, yeah, he's a radical revolutionary, but he's very specific about he wants to spend his energy. And it's not on people from a different people group, which I kind of don't appreciate, especially in light of his old Samaritan story, but that's beside the point. So she kept, you know, insisting, Lord, help me, she asked again. And Jesus said, I'm not going to take food for the children and give it to the dogs, which is rude, but she just rolls with it. Even dogs can be allowed crumbs that fall off of the table, she said. And he was like, wow, you have a lot of faith. What you want will happen. And her daughter was cured. Um, and Jesus kept teaching and, let me back up. I actually find it interesting that this... Um, stories included because i'm always taught jesus is perfect um but but honestly it sounds like he was in the wrong here and her her faith and wittiness um persuaded him to do differently and i think he made a better choice after that um so it's it's interesting because i was taught jesus was always perfect and always did the right thing the first time which uh kind of unattainable anyway but Jesus kept teaching and healing, and he had huge crowds. He magically fed another 4,000 people in similar circumstances to the first time. He was worried everyone following him would pass out from hunger before they got anything to eat. Perhaps they wouldn't have even been able to afford food. After all, the people following Jesus were often disabled people and often had to beg for money and were following Jesus in hopes he'd magically heal them. So again, he told his disciples to feed them. And again, they said, where will we get food for so many? Um, and again, Jesus took the one meal they had, gave thanks for the food, broke it, fed everyone with baskets full of food left over. And again, he left on a boat. Only he actually got on the boat this time instead of walking to the boat. 
Um, and again, the religious leaders came to him asking questions. This time they wanted a sign from heaven. This was a test. Perhaps they wanted proof of something, proof of how he's doing these miracles, proof that he is doing the miracles, like they want to see it for their own eyes, I don't know. More likely they wanted to trap him, saying or doing something they could call sinful because they didn't trust him. In fact, in one story, he healed a man from blindness, but later religious leaders found out he had done it on a Saturday, which is a holy day, similar to the way Christians go to church on Sunday. And he's like, how dare, how dare? Um, you know, because he was breaking the rules about working on the, the Sabbath. Um, so, you know, they're always trying to trap him in the story. Um, I remind you, this is how the Gospels portray those leaders. Um, and Because they didn't trust him and they were worried he would cause trouble. And we'll get more to, to that a little more in the next week. And so they asked for a sign, like a miracle. And Jesus said, you know how to read the signs in the sky to tell the weather, but you don't know how to... You don't know how to read the signs of the times. You won't get any sign, but the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah is actually a story from the Old Testament about a man who was swallowed by a fish and stayed in the fish's belly for three days before being thrown up onto land. And this uh, sign of Jonah comment is foreshadowing of things that happen later in the Gospels. Dun, dun, dun. And on that note, I leave you. Uh, come back next week for more about Jesus. We'll be telling the Jesus story until Easter, basically. Um, it's basically most of the stuff that happens after this until the dramatic end of all four Gospels. I don't have another sound effect for that. I already did my only good sound effect. Sorry. Thanks for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child. <laughs>